can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now reach over and high five, pound, fist pound your neighbor, if you would. All right. If they look like they need it, reach over there and hug them, if you would. If they might need it. So if they look needy, reach over there and hug them, okay? Awesome. All right. Now those Bibles you held up, I hope you'll open those. Going to do a little bit of a different approach this summer than we've been doing. Uh, most of the verses that I've shared with you have been up on the board. But I think it's important that you get this book that you bring open. Okay? So if you have that Bible, open it to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're in for a great study. The title of the message today is, I Am Chosen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. But we want to talk about who we are. What is our identity? For most people, if you hold up your thumb like this, can all of you do that? And then kind of turn your hand so you can see it. Do you realize that that is the only one that's ever been made? No one else ever that's been created or will be created has that one that's on your thumb. Did you know that? Psalm 139 tells us that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. God did that. He did that. He made it. I've preached that to young people and I've had them do, ha he, I'm special. <laughs> so you want to try that? Ha he. I'm special. And you hold that up. See? I got that off of old uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He used to walk out with that two by four, you know. Hi! You know? Okay. Anyway. Identity. I got, I got some slides of people I want you to see if you can identify who they are. Let's see what the first one is. Just call them out. Hey, you did really good on that one. How about the second one? Whoa, I didn't think you'd get it that fast. Good job. A younger Paul McCartney. This one, hopefully this one will be a little tougher. Number three. As he reveals. Absolutely. Boy, you guys went fast. All right, last one. Here we go. All right, everybody knows him. But see, identity kind of tells us who we are, how we look. They can identify who we are. I did uh, a, a research of what does the word identity mean. Here's a, <laughs> this is an incredible definition. Identity is whatever makes an entity definable and recognizable in terms of possessing a set of qualities or characteristics that distinguish it from entities of a different type. So, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say an amen after that, but I, I think I've got it where I could understand it. Identity is whatever makes something the same or different. Identity is whatever makes something the same or different. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. I've got two references up there for you. First Peter 2.10 and Galatians 2.20. And First Peter 2.10 in the New Living Translation, it says, Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. 
Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Now, Peter is talking. And he's talking about God's people. And he's telling us that our identity must change. Our identity must change from what it was into Christ and being more Christ-like. And really to define that is what Galatians 2.20 tells us. I'll have you read that later in your private devotional time. But look at that verse. It's powerful. So I really need to ask, who are you? Who are you? What is your true identity? We have an identity. And we have an identity crisis that's in our world today. And I think there's three aspects to that crisis. The first one is we are confused with the idea of doing versus being. And we will answer the question, who are you, oftentimes... We'll say our job. People will say, who are you? And you'll say, well, I'm a pastor. Or I, I'm an architect. Or I am a CEO. But that doesn't really answer the question of who are you. And the interesting thing is most people get doing and being confused. What happens if you are no longer doing that job? Then who are you? What if you lose your husband? Then who are you? How would you answer the question of who are you? The second problem with uh, the identity crisis that we face is that we find ourselves trying to measure up to the world's standards. Some of those world values are beauty. I am very beautiful, people will say. Intelligence. I'm smarter than a whip. I heard of a great idea this week from a 22-year-old Ph.D. It's a female. She is considered a genius. At the age of 14, she became an engineering professor at a major university at the age of 14. And she had a, a solution for plugging the hole in the gulf. And her solution was put tires around the pipe shove the pipe into the hole, and inflate the tires. And somebody said, well, that makes sense. I wonder why BP doesn't try that. She said, they won't take my call. Funny how that works. How about money? Money. The world's value puts it on money. Boy, I'm rich and I can do whatever I want to do. And then the fourth world value is ability. I'm good at things. I have ability. But what happens if the beauty fades? What happens if there's an accident? What happens if you're no longer sharper than someone else? What happens if you lose your money? What happens if someone else is better at something than you are and you lose your job? Then who are you? The third problem with identity crisis is playing roles for people. When you have an identity crisis, you find yourself playing different kinds of roles for different kinds of situations or different kinds of people. For example, at work you might be one person, while at home you're entirely a different person. When you're with friends or family, you might be one kind of person, but in your private world, totally different. And how about church? 
<laughs> we know the role to play at church. We put on the halo and we act righteous and we act holy. And it's funny if things go wrong, boy, some of the words that come out of our mouths, even at church, huh? Hmm. <laughs> Mark Hurd, a contemporary Christian artist, wrote a song, and one of the phrases is, These plastic halos, they seem so out of place. Behind the mask lurks a scared and fragile face. The question is, who are we really? Are we the same person at home, at work, with our friends, in our private world, even at church? Is what you see what you get? Are you the same on Monday as you are on Sunday? On Thursday as you are on Sunday? So who are you? Most simply just don't know. I think that's why identity theft is such a major issue in our society. People are fearful that their identity will be stolen. And it reveals the complete foolishness of what most build their lives upon. Because if your identity is based on your finances, it can be stolen. If it's based on your vocation, it can be lost. If it's based on your family, it can be broken. If it's based on anything or person that the world has to offer, it can be destroyed. This type of identity is not secure. It's fleeting. It's constantly changing. We received an offering today. To assist somebody whose identity just changed. Just like that. It's not what God intended. Not what the Creator intended for us. From the beginning, His desire was for our identities to be totally wrapped up in who He is. We are created in God's image to know Him and to serve Him. In Christ, we find an identity that cannot be stolen. Lost, broken, or destroyed because it has one and is based on one eternal truth. And that truth is, we are His. He created us. We are not our own. We belong to the Creator. And the sooner we answer that question, the easier life becomes. Amen? Who's going to be in charge? Who do I identify with? Now, when I wear my Jinx Trojan apparel, and lately I've been more proud to wear it than I was for some months because our coach was reinstated and he's come into a hornet's nest, buzzsaw of confusion and, oh my goodness. But I still can't wear it proudly until my brother Red gets reinstated right up here on the front. And they keep, they keep holding him off. We're going to have to mount up a campaign. I know where Dr. Lehman's office is. We're going to mount. We're going to march on his office. Now nah, we we won't do that. But it sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> but you see, we we tend to have an identity based on other things, but our real identity is in Christ. So as we continue on this morning, I need to ask that question again: Who are you? Well, there's two aspects to that 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 as we begin to look at Ephesians that are really important for us to understand. The first one is, is that we're loved. We are loved. And we're chosen. We're set apart. We're, We're the children of Almighty God. We are created on purpose for a purpose. 
on purpose for a purpose. When little guys get sick and they like cancer or a dreaded disease and they're young, it makes everyone scratch their head and go, why, 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 why? And yet we find in those young people such powerful identity in God. And they turn and amaze you at what they say and how they say it. And so this book of Ephesians, Paul purposefully reveals the true nature of the identity that we find through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we study this book this summer, it's going to reveal how much God's desire is to give us an identity that never spoils, perishes, or fades away. We're told in 1 John 4, 15-16, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him, and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in Him. So by nature, God is love. He's love. That's the greatest gift you can ever express, is love like God loves. Right? Moms know how to do that better than dads. They just do. They just do. But I've seen some dads do pretty good at it. But there's only one that really knows how to do it, and that's our Heavenly Father. And we need to pattern our love like His. Because His motivation for action is truly out of love. Truly out of love. God is defined by love. So whatever we find in Him and through our relationship with Him, we can be assured that it comes from love. So the first thing is that you need to know that you're loved. Perfect love drives God to actively pursue us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. It's amazing that Jesus actually laid down His identity, took on our identity, human form, so that He could find a new identity. And by finding that new identity, He allowed us to find a new identity, and now we're loved. So for the next six weeks as we study Ephesians, we're going to look at the big idea from each chapter, and we're going to devour this whole thing of our identity in Christ and my identity in Christ and your identity in Christ. And it's all under that umbrella of love. And remember what Paul said, there's faith, there's hope, there's, uh, but the greatest of these is love. But as we launch into Ephesians 1, I want to give you a little background of, about Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who found his identity in Christ. Written to the church in Ephesus that struggled with their identity. Were they going to worship the idols of the temple of Diana? Were they going to be a part of the world? Or were they going to be a part of Christ? It was written to you and to me. It was written from prison in Rome to a group of people that we learn about in Acts chapter 19 who have been with Paul through some massive struggles, even a riot. People, people uh, see Paul cry in Acts 20 because he cares so much for them. He gave them instructions to watch out for wolves who would want to come in and try to change their identity in Christ. It was written sometime between 60 and 62 A.D. 
And it's been said that the book of Ephesians, pound for pound, might be the most influential document ever written. Small, with only six chapters, but large in its meaning. Some have called it the Switzerland of the New Testament. Beautiful, powerful, majestic, and awe-inspiring. So, go with me on this journey through the next six weeks into our summer. And see what God teaches us about our true identity as we find it in Ephesians. Father, we ask you to open our hearts. Illumine us, enlighten us, and as we examine who we are today, may we find that identity resting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The other thing I want you to know about the first chapter of Ephesians is that we not only are loved, but we are chosen. We are chosen. And I want to encourage you this morning, as you have your Bibles open, especially as you have your Bibles open, and as we read through passages of Scripture, that you will see how beautiful and how wonderful the Word of God is and how much God loves you. And it's not about how intelligent you are or how rich you are or how about capable you are, because in essence, we're really not any of those things. It doesn't matter the roles that you feel like you have to play in order to be accepted by different people in different places because the ultimate issue is you and I are chosen of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So let's pick it up in chapter 1 at verse 3. You follow along. I may tell you to underline or highlight or circle some things as we go along, but pick it up at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him, a good one to underline, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Another phrase, good to underline. And look what it says next. In love. Would you underline love or circle it? It's a great word. In love. He then began to do some things. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to praise to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the, in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption. There's a great word. Circle it. Underline it. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. Another phrase to underline, circle, highlight. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I love that word lavish. Can you think about lavish? If you've got a, have you ever had a big dog lick you? That's lavish. Corey and Megan have a dog named Champ, and, and he's he's rather substantial dog. I think he's is he two hundred pounds now? No. One fifty? Yeah, okay. A dog that's 150-ish. But when Champ licks you, you've been licked. You know, most little dogs, they lick you and he's, you know, his, it's like this, you know. <laughs> because he lavishes that on He loves it. And he loves to run and jump on you. And it's fun to watch him kind of jump on Cindy. She disappears. He's big. But he loves people. He just loves to lavish love on you. And he licks you. And, I mean, you've been licked. And this is, you know, when you think about the, that word lavish, God lavished on us all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will be reached their, 
have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. God is an orderly God. That's what He says. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, and underline this, for the praise of His glory. We were the first to hope in Christ and we become now the praise of His glory. God brags in the universe about us who are believers. Woo! (laughs) Is that not awesome? That is awesome. 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were included. You were brought in. You were made a part of the party. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. In verse 13... Right reference is the sealing of the Spirit. The guaranteeing of the Spirit is that... But he talks about you were marked in Him with a seal. Baptism seals you because you have the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. It's yours. It's a guarantee. I love guarantees, don't you? People who haven't visited our church before and I talk to them for the first time, I, I, I usually say this at the end of the conversation. Hey, listen, give us a try. If you're not completely satisfied, we'll give you money back. And they usually look at you and go, uh, yeah, what? Yeah, we'll give you money back. If you're not completely 100% satisfied in what we present to you from the Word of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Being really silly. I probably should find a different thing to say. But I want to get their attention. I love those that tell me that if they came, the church would cave in. The roof would cave in. And I always tell them, I said, you know what? We're, we're, we're doing a new building. So would you go ahead and come? That'd be awesome. I said, man, we might draw a crowd if the whole church roof fell in. That'd be awesome. They just kind of look at you funny. But, you know, why make a silly statement? I'll just answer it with a silly answer. Now, let's, let's, let's kind of break these down. In verse 3, it says, Praise to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What that verse says is that our spiritual blessing is our unshakable identity. <clears throat> it is an unshakable identity. And what I find amazing about this verse is that the blessing has been given. It's past tense. We've already received it. It's ours because Christ gave it to us by what He did at Calvary. Man, it's ours. Many Christians spend their lives waiting around or trying to earn God's blessing instead of simply accepting what has already been given. I heard a preacher one time say, we don't need more Holy Spirit We just need to yield more of us to Him. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a guarantee. He is our paraclete. That's the Greek word for call alongside. Call to your side. He is our paraclete. Not to to birds. He is our parakeet. And we can call Him to our side. When we have a need, He's ready. When we have a, have you ever been talking to somebody and all of a sudden a verse comes out that you, out of nowhere? Has that ever happened to you? And you know why that happens? It's because the Holy Spirit is going through your file and He's finding that verse that needs to be said right then or that word needs to be said right then. And boom, here it comes. That's awesome. 
That's releasing the Spirit in you. That's allowing the Spirit to have control of you. He doesn't, and He's not going to make you do wild, crazy things. He's, only, he's, going to, he's going to have you doing things that are powerful. Things that are beyond your ability. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And God's given us that blessing. And that's our unshakable identity. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. You see, we've received these blessings. Every spiritual blessing, this verse says in Christ. Our identity is fixed. It doesn't change. We're chosen. Would you say that phrase, I am chosen? And would you say, I am His? Let's say it one more time. I am chosen. I am His. I am chosen. I am His. There you go. And you got to have some fervor behind it. you got to have some passion behind it. And you got to let God know. And you've got to let people know. In fact, in this verse, 1 John 3, 9, the Greek word for God's seed is sperma. How about that one? And what that tells me is, is that God has made me His Son. I carry His DNA in my, in my life, in my body. Amen? That's awesome. Now let's look at verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. We are chosen to be holy in verse 4. He picks us to be perfect. He does not pick us because we are perfect but because we can be made perfect in Him. We are chosen because we need God. He restores us through the cross, removes sin so that we may accept a new identity in Him that is founded in holiness. There's nothing you and I can do. It's already been done. Now, I've got to stop right here and remind us myself, and you, what Jesus said in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Because we've been chosen, now we need to respond. Amen? Ladies, when your husband chose you out of the, all the flowers in the field, he could have picked all kinds of flowers. There's some pretty ones. There's some bright ones. There's some dull ones. There's some big ones. And there's some little ones. There's some that spread stuff. And there's some that don't. He could have picked any flower out of that garden. But what did he do? He picked you. Now, what would have been great, ladies, if he said, Hey, I want to marry you. And you said, Yeah, forget you. <laughs> No, you ain't, the, you ain't the flower I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. But somehow, praise God, you said, oh, okay. Now, he may have caught you at a weak moment. I understand. And after the fact, you woke up. I understand. But thank God you're still battling away with it, aren't you? God chose you and me. Picked us. And we're to bear fruit. Now, let's look at verses 5 and 6. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. Oh, I love that. Which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Through Christ. So God's pleasure is to give grace. 
He is a gracious, gracious God. And He just keeps extending it to us. I don't understand that. Because when somebody hurts me, I still carry around the marks of the hurt. Any of you identify with that one? But God just, He says, if you'll confess my sin, your sin to me, I'll forgive you. My grace will cover it. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. But it's so hard in the flesh to extend that kind of grace. Especially some of the hurts that have been perpetrated on us. It's hard to extend that grace because of the flesh that runs through all of us. So we have to rely on God to be able to find that kind of grace. Okay? We just have to. And God doesn't resent choosing us. In fact, it says here, it was His pleasure. He does what He wants to do. Nobody forced Him. It was His ultimate act of sacrifice and selflessness was to love us. But He's the one that chose to do it. He's the one that chose to send Jesus to die for us. He's the one that loved us that much. You and I were gladly chosen as an instrument of His grace. Now look at verses 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. These verses tell us that God's grace is more than sufficient to give us the identity He desires. God knew what He was doing. He didn't make mistakes. He chose you. He died for you so that you could receive a new identity in His Son, Jesus. He does, God does not do the bare minimum, but instead, I love this, He lavishes that love on us. He lavishes it on us. And it's unacceptable for us to think that we need more. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Our identities cannot be based on Christ plus anything. It is Christ alone. And the major stumbling block for most followers of Christ is that they don't accept that Christ is sufficient and they spend their lives in the fruitless pursuit of a fleeing identity. Verses 9 and 10. And He made known to us the mystery of, all, of His will. And you might say, well, haven't we read these before? Yeah, but repetition is good for the soul. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He pur- purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Our new identity makes us participants in God's plan. We are part of what God is doing. Our new lives give us purpose. We live to help achieve God's ultimate purpose and that's to bring everything under the Lordship of Christ. I don't know why He's decided to use us to get His message out because we are the worst people in the world to tell, tell people about Jesus. How's that working for you? And when's the last time you, you took the time to share Jesus with somebody? Anybody last week? Anybody share Jesus with somebody last week? Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Any of you going to share Christ with somebody this week? Every hand should go up. <laughs> oh, he's putting us on the spot. Yeah. It's all right. 
Now you might say, well, I, 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 because they're not ready for, for you to open the Bible and start to hammer away at them, are they? <laughs> no, they need to see it in you. Amen? Are you the same today as you are Monday and Tuesday and Friday? Hmm. Verses 11 through 14. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. We are simply vessels. Vessels of God. Having heard and believed, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing our salvation. When you make a, when you make an investment, you like for the investor or the, or whoever you're investing with, you like for them to give you a guarantee on your return. Amen? But it doesn't always work that way, does it? However, with God, it does. And we're evidence of that by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And when judgment comes and that refining fire of God burns away every impurity, our identities will be secure because they are found and grounded in Jesus and the promised Holy Spirit. It's ours. As vessels of God, we carry Christ into every situation and every circumstance. God is always present. We are never alone. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Life of the Beloved, wrote this, In the midst of this extremely painful reality, we have to dare to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones, even when our world does not choose us. As long as we allow our parents, siblings, teachers, friends, and lovers to determine whether we are chosen or not, we are caught in the net of a suffocating world that accepts or rejects us according to its own agenda of effectiveness and control. What a powerful statement. He says we have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and in the long run, destructive. If you're out to please men, you will only get that as your reward. Please your Heavenly Father who has something greater waiting for you. So who am I? Well, I'm His. I'm His. Don't buy into the world's self-esteem. The world says you're ugly or you're beautiful or you're stupid or you're smart or you're a football player or you're a cheerleader or you're a straight A student or a straight C student or you're a model or you're a fashion disaster. You're rich, you're poor, you're clumsy, you're athletic, you're a singer. Hey man, you got to measure up. So who are you? Who are you? I think Paul sums it up best in chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. Let's read along together. <coughs> I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order <coughs> that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength. 
which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that has been given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul's prayer and my prayer for us today, as our worship team comes to help me close. My prayer is for us that we would comprehend and accept who we are in Christ. That we would open our eyes and believe that God is for you. That God loves you. That you are chosen for a wonderful purpose. God's power is on full display within those who confidently walk the walk of God and who love Him in a lavish way. Oh, Father, I pray that we would understand that our unshakable identity is found in our confidence as we live in You. So God, I'm praying this morning that there might be those here who could use a little jolt of your Spirit in their spirit. Who God need to be reassured of your presence, of your love, of your care. There may be someone here, Father, that is still trying to play that game where I, I, I need to be this way on this day, but boy, at church, I need to be this way so that people think I'm okay. When really, Father, our whole being, our whole identity is based and founded on a relationship with Your Son, Jesus Christ, who has lavished on us Your grace. And God, that grace is sufficient. That grace is available. And if there's somebody here today that needs to be touched by that grace or taste that grace again, would You let them do so? They need to come forward and make some kind of a decision. Father, they just need prayer. Let us know that so we can pray for them. God, more than anything, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Great.